So today, uh, if you're a visitor, you've come on a very interesting Sunday. Uh, we are hanging out in the book of Revelation. Woo! Yeah, okay. For those of you who don't know, that is the final book of the Bible. So uh, if, you wanna, if you've got a Bible with you and you want to open it there, do. Uh, right at the very, very back. Um, also, if you'd like a Bible, you haven't got one, there's a, a, a table of them over by the door. You're really welcome to go and get one. Uh, I promise if you stand up and go and get one, I won't say any funny comments or make you stand out in front of anyone. <sighs> um, Revelation, what a book. Who, who, who remembers two years ago when we looked at Revelation? Anyone? Oh, a couple of you, yeah. Dennis Kerslake preached, he did, on the seven churches. That was our first of three weeks in Revelation, yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know about you, who, who, who's read Revelation before and thinks, I don't get it? Anyone? All right, amazing. All right, fantastic. Good, good, good. Not just me then. <laughs> yeah. Revelation is such a weird and strange book. And there's all kinds of weird and strange things that go on in the book of Revelation. Um, today, what I want to do is I'm going to read chapter one. As we read through, I'm just going to pull a couple of little things out. And then I'm going to go back. And there's a, a thing I want to talk about, um, which I think is what the book of Revelation is all about. And I think sometimes we miss what the book of Revelation is all about. And I want to just pull out from chapter one what I think the key theme of the book of Revelation is. Is that okay? All right. So, so here we go. Grab your Bibles. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen for those of you that want to follow it up there. Um, let's read Revelation chapter one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, pause there. Here's first little thing, number one, that I'm going to pull out just to help your framework a little bit. Do you notice something weird that's already happened? Do you notice that in that verse, it tells us that, that uh, John testifies to everything that he saw? But then in the very next line, what you read is that John hears something. Do you see that? What he sees is a word and a testimony. A testimony is, is what Abby did earlier on. It's, it's spoken word about someone testifying about something. So, so John says, I'm, I'm going to write down everything I see, only he doesn't see all these things. He hears a lot of them. And throughout the book of Revelation, if you follow through, you will notice again and again that John says this. He says, I heard this. And then I turned around and I saw that. And it's like he hears something and sees something else. And, and it's all a bit bizarre. And if, if already you're thinking this is weird that he's seeing what he's hearing or hearing what he's seeing and what's going on here, then great, because it's supposed to make your head spin a little bit. That's the whole point. The whole point is that it's supposed to make your head spin a, a, a little bit. And, and the reason for that the reason for that is this. The reason for that is because John, in the book of Revelation, he is on planet Earth, but he's also seeing and hearing things in the heavenly realm. 
Okay, and also in Revelation, he's talking about things that have happened, that are happening, and that will happen. He's also talking about things from the Old Testament, the Jewish kind of scriptures, and the Jewish worldview, and he's talking about things that are happening in the Roman culture. And, and if you're thinking, whoa, what on earth? Great, because that is the point. The point is that John is saying this isn't just one simple little thing. This is something that is including all these things. And as John is speaking and writing this revelation, what he's trying to get you to realize is that what he's talking about, which we'll come on to in a bit, but what he's talking about is that everything, past, present, future, here on earth, there in heaven, the Jewish culture, the Roman culture, all of it is just colliding, poof, together in this one thing and coming together in this one thing. Are you with me? We'll talk about that one thing in a bit. But the whole point is, is, is weird. Stuff that shouldn't go together is going together. Things that were happening years ago and that will happen in years to come all seem to be captured in this one moment. You can't read Revelation and go, oh yeah, it's just all about that. Because it never is. It's got a whole load of stuff going on. And if we think we read it and we go, oh, yeah, well, this is how it plays out, boom, 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 and that's the end and that's it, then we will miss some of the really, really important truths that John is wanting us to grasp as he's writing this down, or rather that Jesus is wanting us to grasp through what John writes down. Okay, that was little sub-point number one. Here we, here we go. Let's carry on from there. So here's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he writes, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, did you spot that in the very first verse, it also said what must soon take place? And then it says the time is near. I don't know about you, but I hear when people read the book of Revelation, everything's about the future and hasn't yet happened. But when John's writing... He is writing about some future things, but he's also writing about stuff that took place in the time that he lived. Are you with me? John can't write, this must soon take place and the time is near, if it didn't happen in the time that he is living in. And so some of what you read in Revelation, for us, has already happened. It happened nearly 2,000 years ago when John was alive. So, so don't, when you're reading it, this is just like my little top tips for reading it, okay? When you're reading the book of Revelation, don't get totally caught up thinking all of this is about the future and everything that's yet to happen because some of what John is writing has already happened. It was near 2,000 years ago when he wrote it, okay? All right, here we go, verse 4. So John shifts into letter writing mode here and he writes, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, this is fascinating. Okay. Seven churches. Do you know that there are more than seven churches at John's time in the province of Asia? There's not just seven churches. There's more. The last church that John writes to is Laodicea. And Laodicea is right next to a place called Colossae, which is where the Colossian church was in the province of Asia. But John doesn't write to the church in Colossae. He just writes to these seven churches. Isn't that weird? There's actually more than seven churches, but John writes to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Well, hey, John, there was another really important church in the province of Asia, and you missed them out. But John didn't miss anything, because actually John... John isn't writing to the only seven churches. John is doing something that was really common in Hebrew writing. And he's using numbers 
to tell you something that is way bigger and something else that is going on. So in the Hebrew way of thinking and in Hebrew literacy, um, they use numbers to represent bigger things. So when we read the number seven, quite often in the Bible, the number seven is symbolic of God doing something. It comes from the very first story in the Bible when there were the seven days of creation and the seventh day was completeness and there was peace and there was wholeness and everything was good. And so when we read about the number seven in the Bible, often the Hebrew writers are wanting to draw your attention back to something else, back to this idea of completeness, of wholeness, of peace, of God being at work in his creation. And so I want to tell you this. When you read the book of Revelation, like many of you are doing over the next few weeks, don't get caught up on the numbers. Because I would say that the vast majority of numbers that are mentioned in Revelation are not literal. They're not there to be a literal number. They're there to be symbolic of something bigger that is going on. So here John talks about the seven churches, uh, but... There are other things that are mentioned. So uh, you will discover that the word Christ is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. The word blessed is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. Uh, The words patient endurance are mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. Uh, The word Jesus is mentioned 14 times. Now that's significant in the Bible because 14 is double seven. So it's like the complete completeness. And also if we're thinking about creation as seven days, this was the first week of creation. If there's 14 days, we've got a new week of creation. We've got new heavens, new earth, new hope, which all came in with Jesus. And Jesus is mentioned 14 times in the book of Revelation. Are you with me? Kind of, Matt. We're kind of tracking. Okay. 14 is a significant number in the Hebrew mindset. And we could delve into that, but we don't have the time to do that today. If you go and look at the start of Matthew's gospel, which is the birth narrative about Jesus, in the genealogy, you'll see that there are three groups of 14. And three is a number that represents God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 Lord, God, Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the number three is used, it's symbolic of God himself. And here in Matthew's gospel, we kick off with three, lots of seven, uh, 14, pointing towards this new creation culminating in Jesus. It's all a bit of a mind bend, I know, but the Hebrew authors use numbers to signify something bigger. So not only is Jesus mentioned seven times, but the word, 14 times, but the word servant is mentioned 14 times. And the word saints are mentioned 14 times in the book of Revelation. Uh, The term seven spirits is mentioned in Revelation. We'll get onto that in a moment. But again, it's not talking about seven spirits. It's talking about the complete spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And, and, And in the Old Testament, it talks about his seven characteristics that are caught up in the Holy Spirit. And and the the seven spirits are mentioned four times. And John is telling us that he's in the spirit four times. And four in the day of creation was when God placed the heavenly beings uh, in their place, the sun, the moon, the stars. And they're symbolic in the Hebrew um, culture of angelic beings. So we get these fours used with with the spirit to tell us about this 
heavenly being that is at work. Um, also, we get the four living creatures, these four angelic big creatures that are mentioned. Um, so the f- number four gets used. Are you with me? What I'm trying to say is this. When you read the book of Revelation, don't get hung up on the numbers. The numbers aren't literal most of the time. The numbers are symbolic of bigger things that are going on that John is wanting his readers to grasp. Okay. Let's keep reading. So, to the seven churches, the complete church in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard, spot this, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll see, uh, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice. Do you spot that again? I turned to see the voice, something that you hear, not see. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and AIDS. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lord Jesus, help us as we unpack this passage today. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you would uh, give me wisdom and clarity just to speak and open our hearts to hear the things that are on your heart. Uh, As you were sharing this with John and as he has written this down, Lord, I pray that we would catch something of what it is that you wanted uh, those first readers and hearers to grasp and that we today would see something of that as well. Amen.
Okay, all right, anybody's head spinning? Yeah, all right, fantastic. All right, here we go then. Um, so, um, I, um, yeah, I, anybody open their advent calendar this morning? None of you have got advent calendars. Joe, you do? Anybody else? Yeah, John? Uh, Trev, come on, yes. Chocolate one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, what have you got? Cadbury's Dairy Milk. Okay, yeah, what have you guys got? One that you get made. Epic. Love that. What have you got, John? Reese's Chocolate Pieces. Yes. Okay, Rick, yeah, what have you got? A scientific one. Oh, very nice, nice. Nathan Redshaw. Sorry? Lint. Oh, come on. Yeah. Okay. Emily and I have got Terry's chocolate orange ones. They are delicious. Yeah. A Barbie one. Nice. Love that. Okay. So when you open your advent calendar, um, I, I don't know um, about you, but you open it and you get the chocolate out and you eat it. Does anyone take the time to look at the picture or what shape the chocolate was? Or do you just throw it in and no? I, I normally just throw it in, but I've been paying attention this year. And, and so far, I've had um, a, a Christmas pudding, a snowman, and, oh, what was this morning? What was it? Choc uh, chocolate. Yeah, I had chocolate, but I can't remember what the picture was and the shape. Anyway, so um, a present. I think it was a present. Um, but anyway, as you open them, you, you open them and they're all looking, the advent calendar is looking forward to Christmas Day, isn't it, right? That's the thing, it's pointing you forward to look at something. And as you open each door, you get this chocolate, which is often in a shape, and you get a picture. And the picture is supposed to reveal something about Christmas, right? It's painting a picture of what Christmas is about and what Christmas is like. And, and, and Advent, originally, the season of Advent, when it was first introduced, it wasn't about the birth of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus now, okay? But actually, Advent in its original form was all about looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And so as the church celebrates the season of Advent, as it lights its candles or opens its doors and people preach, the whole point was that we're looking forward to the one who is to come to King Jesus. And all the things that we do during the season of Advent are supposed to help paint this big picture about who he is and what he will be like. Are you with me? That's the point of Advent. And Revelation is, is such a great book for us to be hanging out in at Advent because Revelation is looking forward to Jesus. It's trying to paint a big picture of Jesus. Uh, here's why it's doing that. If you look in uh, Revelation 1 verse 9, you will read there that John says, hey, I'm your brother and your companion in the suffering, in the suffering. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be anybody's brother in the suffering. <laughs> but he's our brother in the suffering, he says to the church, and in the kingdom and in patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, the word suffering there in the Greek is the word flipsis, flipsis. And it is the same word that gets translated later in the book of Revelation into English as tribulation. Now, I'm not ruling out anything about the future and what is to come. There are lots and lots of different theories around that. And if you talk to all kinds of different people in this church and other churches, they'll all have different theories about how it's going to end and what's going to happen and all that kind of thing. But what I want to say to you today is this. 
The word here, we just translated it in chapter one as suffering, but it's exactly the same word that gets translated as tribulation. And some people think that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation that's coming in the future when Jesus comes back and all that kind of thing. But you'll notice here, when John writes about his suffering, his flipsis, his tribulation, he isn't talking about something that's going to come in the future. He says, I am your brother now in the flipsis and in the kingdom and impatient endurance. This is the thing. For John and his readers, their reality was flipsis. It was suffering. It was tribulation. It was trial. We just read Daniel last, last couple of weeks. And in Daniel, he was going through trials and tribulations and sufferings through flipsis. He was being persecuted or tested. And in and, and, and the, um, the Thessalonians that we read before that, Paul writes to them about their suffering and their flipsis, their, their trial, their tribulation. So when John writes about it, Maybe later he's talking about future stuff, but he's also talking about a present reality. This is a present reality for John and for his readers. They are going through difficult times. Anybody going through a difficult time? Some of you are like, yes, I've got my hand up. Yeah. Others of you are like, yeah, not putting my hand up, but man, is it hard right now? Like people going through difficult times. John is writing to people that are going through difficult times. And and do you know what Jesus through John says to his church, if you are going through a difficult time, do you know what you need? You need hope. You need hope. And the book of Revelation is all about hope. People come away from it. And most of the time, what I hear them talking about are beasts and marks of the Antichrist and all of these other kind of things. But the main theme of the book of Revelation is hope. Is hope for those who are suffering, hope for those who are going through difficult times. Paul say, uh, John says, hey, if you are going through a difficult time, you need hope. And, and how do you get hope? You need a revelation of the one who is hope. You need a revelation of Jesus. You need to see Jesus. When you see Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're going through, you're going to be filled with hope. That's what the book of Revelation is all about, filling people with hope taking these scary big moments, these uncertain things that are happening and saying, hey, there is one who, if you see him, will give you hope, will give you hope. This is why Revelation starts by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what Revelation is all about. If you come away from the book of Revelation and the thing that you are most interested in is the beast or who the Antichrist is or the mark of the beast and all these kind of things, then I want to say that stuff's really interesting to talk about. But that's not the point of Revelation. The point of Revelation is Jesus, is Jesus, the one who brings hope no matter what beast you're facing, no matter what tribulation you're going through, Jesus is the point of revelation. Now, um, you may have read up there, it said the revelation from Jesus Christ. Um, That's the newer translation of of the NIV. The older edition of the NIV says the revelation of Jesus Christ, and most other translations say the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a bit ambiguous as to whether it could be of or from with the way that the Greek is written, but I think it... I think probably it means both. This is the revelation of Jesus from Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus from Jesus. And what I want to do is I just want to go through this chapter and pick out a couple of things and say, when we look at this book, what do we discover about Jesus? Because Jesus, right at the beginning, is saying, hey, John, I'm giving you a revelation from me, of me, to give to my people because they are going through difficult things right now. And what they need more than anything else is to see me, to see who I am, to see what I'm like, and to discover the hope that comes from seeing me. 
The very first thing that I think we learn from the book of Revelation when John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ is this. What do we learn about Jesus? He is the one. He is the God who wants you to know him. Isn't that amazing? The very first line tells us that Jesus wants you to know who he is. Jesus has given us the Bible. He's given us the book of Revelation so that you can know him. He's not a God that's hidden away. He's not a God that's hard to find. He's a God that says, seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be open. If you are struggling with something right now, if you're going through a difficult time, Jesus wants to be found by you. And he has made himself knowable to you through the scriptures. You can seek him and find him. You can seek him and find him. Um, It goes on, uh, and the next thing I want to pull out about Jesus is this line. So go down to verse 4, and it says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. You may have heard us sing songs in church where he says this. Jesus says, or we sing about him, that he is the one who was and is and is to come. You catch that phrase? The one who was and is and is to come. But John's made a mistake here in Revelation. I don't know if you spotted it. He's written it wrong, and he's written the one who is and who was and who is to come. He's got it the wrong way around. Or has he? Ah. <laughs> what is John trying to tell us about Jesus by putting that first? The one who is and who was and who is to come, rather than the one who was and is and is to come. He's making the point to people that are struggling, to people that are going through a difficult time, that Jesus is. He is. He is alive. He is present. He is risen from the grave. He is the one who is now. Not just the one who was, and we hope that he might be. No, he is the one who is. He is the one who is. He's alive. He can be found by you because he is. Amen? He is. Go on. Uh oh. Yep. If we want to go down a really deep theological, I'm trying to keep it simple today, John. That's okay. It also, so John is picked up on something great, and I was going to skip this out, but because he's opened the door to it, let's go for it. Um, so actually, that phrase is, comes from the Old Testament. Uh, he who is, it's to be. Is, is the phrase to be in the Greek it goes back to the Old Testament. And actually to be is the verb, is the, is the wording that, that God uses of himself in the Old Testament. He says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And we're going to come to this a little bit later on. There are other things in this chapter as well that also point to that. But this is also telling us that Jesus is God. That's who he is. He's before Abraham. He's before, he's, he is, he is the I am. Are, are you with me? Okay, great. All right. Okay, so he's alive. He's alive. Okay, let's, let's keep going. We'll pull out a couple more things. Um, if you read on in verse 5, it says that Jesus, who is the faithful witness, he's the faithful witness. We often think of uh, Jesus, uh, God being faithful to us. He's, he's faithful to us, faithful one, so unchanging. But I love this. He's not just faithful to us. He's the faithful witness. What that means is that he was faithful to witness about the gospel, about the truth of who God is and his love for the world, even unto the point of death. He loves you so much that he came and he gave himself and he went all the way to the point of death. Nothing was stopping him. He was faithful to witness the love of God to the world. He's faithful. He's faithful witness. 
And what I love about that is that it means that he won't change and his message won't change. Isn't that amazing? That, that means, guys, no matter what you do, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what your wrestle is, he loves you and he gave himself for you. And that will never change because he will never change. He is the faithful witness. And then it says, he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? Well, it means he rose from the grave. But hang on a minute. Didn't other people get risen from the dead in the Old Testament? Yeah, other people were raised up as well. But how is Jesus the firstborn? Well, all those other people that were resurrected, they were resurrected to this life, to this world. But they died again. But Jesus, he's the firstborn into the new life, into the heavens, and he hasn't died again. And he is alive forevermore. He's the firstborn from among the dead and those who were rose up and died again. He's the firstborn into the new life. And, and what that means for us is this, that we too will be raised up with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. For some of you, this will be a more present reality than for others of you. But all of us at some point will die. Some of us sooner than others. I was going to make a joke and I stopped myself, but Malcolm laughed. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but some of us, we're all going to die. But we have hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus is the first, the firstborn, not the only born, the firstborn from among the dead. So that means that when we die, when we go to sleep, we will wake up again into eternity with him. Because there's hope beyond the grave in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling with, if there's fear of death on you, do not be afraid. Because we will be raised up with him again. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Then it goes on and says that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Don't worry, I'm not going to go line by line through the whole chapter just in case you're freaking out. But there are three very good descriptions of Jesus here, okay? So um, then it says that he is the, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Imagine, all right, many of us live in a time where most of us don't trust or love the government, right? Let's just be, let's be frank about that. I think probably most of us are a bit like, what are they playing at in Parliament, you know? Kind of. But actually, these people lived in a time where their rulers persecuted them, tortured them, beat them. One of the Roman emperors took Christians and set them on fire on spikes to be lights in his garden party. These are the Christians that John is writing to, right? And John is saying to them, Whatever these people can do to you, Jesus is above all of that. He's above all of that. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Jesus is king over all of them. And when all of these people are raised up, when all of, the, when all of us are raised up again at the end, he will judge the living and the dead, and he will bring justice, and he will deal with all of these things, and there will be a restoration and a hope for those who have been persecuted. Whatever you're facing, whatever pressure is on your life, Jesus is over it. He's above it. And put, you can put your hope in him. All right. Let's uh, skip down a little bit to the next bit. It says, to him who loves us. Guys, what do we discover from the book of Revelation? Jesus loves us. He loves us. He loves you. He loves you so much he gave himself and died on the cross for you. He loves you. And... It tells us that he has freed us from our sins by his blood. 
Abby was testifying to who Jesus is in her life. But Jesus has freed her and has freed us from our sins. Sins is such a weird word and people get really kind of heated up over it. But it basically means to miss the mark. To miss the mark of being a fully alive human being as God has made us to be. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you may have life and life in all of its fullness. Why? Because all of us fail to live life in all of its fullness, don't we? On a daily basis, we get things wrong and we miss what it means to be fully alive. That, my friends, is called sin. That's what the Bible means. It talks about sin. The stuff that we miss the mark or we fall short of who God made us to be and we're not worthy of him. But Jesus, by his blood, has cleansed us and washed us and set us free from that sin. So whatever it is that you're struggling and wrestling with, know again that he has the power to deal with it. He has the power to change your life, to cleanse you, to set you free. And then it says, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. I don't know about you, but I met someone over the last week who told me that they just were struggling to find purpose in their life. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have purpose because he's made you a kingdom and he's made you priests to serve God. We have a reason to live. We have a God to live for and we have something to do. To be a priest is to take the God that you know and who he's like and reveal him to the world and then to take the people of the world and to draw them near and bring them into that love of God. That's your role as a priest. Your role is to reveal Jesus to the world and to allow the world to experience Jesus through your life and the way that you draw them to him. You have a purpose, a purpose that can change the world in which you live. That's who you are. That's who Jesus has made you to be. Without him, I'm just wandering through this life, hoping to make the best of it and that it might all be all right in the end. But with him, I've got something to live for. I've got something to do. There's something bigger than me that I'm caught up in, in Jesus, because he is bigger than it all. All right. Are you with me so far? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We're going to jump down now. I want you to jump down to uh, verse 10, where it says this. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, John pulls on loads of Old Testament language, and, and almost every verse has got some Old Testament in it, but we haven't got time to unpack all of that. But I want you to just pull this one out. The, the trumpet in the Old Testament was used to call the people of Israel for two things. It was used to call them for war and for worship. For war and for worship. I believe here that this one trumpet is being blown, that he's hearing the voice that sounds like a trumpet to call the people of God to war through worship. And as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll discover that there are all kinds of battles going on. But interwoven in between these battles are these epic scenes of worship. And I think that what, what John is wanting us to do, what Jesus is wanting us to do, is to be a people that war against the powers of darkness by worshipping the one who is above it all, the one who has the power to do all things. As we worship, we declare who he is. That's the role of the priest again, right? We declare who he is, and the world gets to see who he is. We live lives of worship that change the world because the king is lifted up, and the king can bring hope to the hopeless and light in the darkness and love to those who don't experience it and grace to those who need to be picked up. That's how we do it, by worshipping him. So keep reading with me. Go to verse 12. Paul says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like a son of man. 
Son of Man is an Old Testament title, and I'm not going to get into that today. But what follows Son of Man is a list of descriptions about this character, right? We start reading that he's wearing this kind of priestly garment and this sash, and he's got white hair, um, and it goes on and on. It lists all these things. Here's another little thing just to throw out there. You'll discover that in that list, there are seven descriptions of what he looks like. And then there are two of things that he is carrying and the sword in his mouth. But there are seven descriptions. Again, there's something bigger going on. This son of man is the completeness of God revealed to us. But these descriptions tell us more than that as well. These descriptions, they they tell us a few other things. They tell us that he is the priest. He's wearing priestly garments. He's got white hair like wool. This is a description from the Old Testament, from Leviticus and from Proverbs, which tells us that he is wise because that's what these verses say in the Old Testament. He's got wisdom beyond what we could imagine. We also discover that he is the king. He's seated on David's throne, the one above it all. What is Revelation pulling together all these things to tell us? To tell us this, to tell us this, to tell us that Jesus is the king means that Jesus is, can bring order and rule to your life? Does your life feel out of whack? Does your life feel messy? Does your life feel chaotic? Jesus is a king who can bring order and rule and beauty to your life. Do you feel far from God? Or hey, Jesus is a priest. The clothing he wears tells us he's got these priestly garments. And the priest brings you near to God. And Jesus himself can bring you near to God. Do you feel far from hope? Well, God is our hope. Do you feel far from love? The Bible tells us that God is love. Do you feel far from joy, from patience, from peace? Well, all of those things are caught up in who God is. Jesus is able to bring you near to the one who can give you all of those things. It also tells us that in his hand, he had the seven stars. Revelation chapter 1 tells us that the seven stars are the seven messengers or angels to the churches. And that means that he's holding in his hands messages to the churches. And out of his mouth is coming a double-edged sword, which the Bible tells us is the word of God. And this is the other thing about Jesus. If you need someone to speak hope into your life, Jesus has the message of hope. If you need someone to speak life to you, Jesus has the words of life. His disciples say to him, when people abandon Jesus in John 6, his disciples say, Lord, we're not going. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. And Revelation is picking up on that and saying, do you want life? Do you want hope? It's all found in Jesus. If you go down to um, Revelation 1.17, we're coming towards the end, just for those of you who are hanging on, just to let you know. Uh, But Revelation 17 Uh, We read there that Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Further back up in Revelation chapter 1, in uh, verse 8, you see that God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You see, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and that God is saying that. And then later on, Jesus is saying, I am the first and I am the last. What do we discover about Jesus? We discover that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's saying, that's who I am. I am God. I'm the one who made it all. I'm the one who will wrap it all up. If you want to know who God is and you want to see what God is like, look at me. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the one who holds it all and you can find it all in me, which then leads us on to the next thing that Jesus says. He says, behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And he says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Hades was the Greek God of the underworld, right? And and Jesus is saying, hey, I've got the keys to the underworld. 
I've got the keys to death. I'm over all of that as well. So not even just what happens in this life, but the fear of what might happen to you next. I am over all of it. I am the one who can bring you to life from it, who can unlock all of that and free you from it. Jesus is king of all. Whatever your fear is, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever darkness that you find yourself in, he's the one above it all. He's the one who rules over it. He's the one who has the words of life and the words of hope. This is what we start to discover as we read the book of Revelation. We discover that John had an incredibly big vision of who Jesus was and who he is. And I want to bring us in to land on this last thing. Towards the end of the chapter, John gets the uh, interpretation of the seven lampstands, right? And the seven lampstands are the, the seven churches. That's what, the, that's what Jesus tells him. The lampstands are the churches. Do you remember earlier in the chapter, John said, I heard a voice speaking and I turned to see the voice and I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them, I saw one like a son of man in amongst the lampstands. Here's what I love about this. What John is saying to the churches is this, that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you as the church can know that Jesus is among you now. He's among you. He's with you. Guys, I don't know about you, but that fills me with hope. That, that tells me that today in this place, Jesus is here which also tells me that today in this place, hope is possible, life is possible, freedom is possible. All of these things are possible because Jesus is here with us in this place. The point of revelation is, is not beasts and marks of beasts and antichrists and all kinds of weird, strange stuff. All of that stuff is there to tell you how big Jesus is. All of that stuff is there to tell you how great Jesus is, to tell you that no matter what beast you face, Jesus is bigger, that he is the one who can conquer it all. No matter what flips this, what suffering, what tribulation you are going through right now, Jesus is with you in it, and he is king over all things. The point of revelation is to give you a bigger vision of Jesus so that in the midst of what you are in, you can discover hope. Isn't that amazing? That's the point. So when you read through Revelation Church over the next few days and weeks, don't be overwhelmed by all the weird language. Look for Jesus because on every page of Revelation, you discover more and more about who Jesus is. And the more you discover about him, the more hope you have. The more you discover about him, the more peace you will have. The more you discover about him, the more love you will experience. The more you discover about him, the more joy you will have. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he is the answer to all of it. He is the thing that the whole Bible wraps up with by saying, look at him. Look at how big he is. Look at how great he is. Look at how amazing he is.